Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Wednesday, October 13th, 2021. And today will be better than yesterday. Producing from his home studio in the foothills of Connecticut is the Rev, Taylor Schwink. Amen. We're going to loosen you up. Praise the Lord. We're going to let it all hang. I left my underwear at home tonight, brother. Uh, Buster only working for my home studio in New York. Well, yesterday, Astros and White Sox, Houston with a chance to close out Chicago in that best of five series, and Carlos Correa did some damage. The 0-2 from Rodon. Line to left field hard. Jimenez on the run. He'll have to play it on a couple of hops. Altuve scores. Bregman is in. The throw to Anderson. Alvarez gets to third, and Correa behind to second. Carlos Correa with a second consecutive 0-2 pitch that he hits in the left field. This one is a two-run double, and Houston has the lead against Carlos Rodon in the third. He jumped that fastball. I could hear that on ESPN Radio yesterday. Carlos Correa, part of the old guard, so is Alex Bregman. Here's the 3-0 pitch from Crochet. That swung on drilled left center field. That splits the outfielders. Rolls to the wall on three hops. Maldonado scores. Altuve waved around. Anderson's throw is very late. A two-run double on a 3-0 swing from Alex Bregman. And the Astros' lead is 5-1. to one. And they were in control early in this game. Now, in the eighth inning, Jose Abreu was hit by a pitch. Uh, Tony La Russa, the White Sox manager, was really upset about that. In the top of the ninth inning, Jose Altuve applied to coup de gras. Altuve with oh a swing my. and a high drive. Deep to left field and long, long gone. Absolutely cranked over the White Sox bullpen. The icing on a seven-layer cake for the Houston Astros in game four. It is 10-1 to one after a three-run blast from Altuve. After the White Sox were eliminated, Tony La Russa talked about, in his mind, how the Astros intentionally hit Abreu. Well, I questioned, you know, after they threw three pitches in there, why they should have just ejected him. It'll be a good test of the uh, character and credibility of the winning team, because it was intentional. Catcher kept looking in the dugout, so that they hit him intentionally. And I'll be really curious. They should have the guts to admit that they did it. Why they did it, I have no reason to understand. You know, I only carry my sportsmanship so far, and I've gotten the limit. You know, they beat us. They played better. Oh, we're disappointed. But that was intentional, and uh, I don't understand why. I don't understand how they got away with it. Astros manager Dusty Baker was asked about the bad blood. I don't think there's bad blood between these two teams. You know, number one, we don't play them enough to come up with bad blood. And number two, you know, they got a number of Latins, and we got a number of Latins over here. And anybody know that Latin American players are close to you know, close to each other. Yeah. So Dusty Baker has been around so long. We've talked about how it feels like he's known everybody, you know, from Jimi Hendrix to Henry Aaron. Uh, and, you know, he you knew he would come up with an interesting comparison for this Astros team. You know, they come to play and they and they love each other. And I remember talking to Bill um, Russell years ago, a few years ago, and I asked him, I said, man, how'd you guys win all those championships in, in Boston? And he told me, you know, I thought he was going to say Red Auerbach or Red, you know, a lot of hard work. But it, he told me that that they loved each other. And these guys, they love each other. Carlos Correa, the Astros shortstop, talked about advancing the playoffs. It's really special. Um, yeah, 
I'll never take these moments for granted. And, um, you know, I'm going to enjoy it with my teammates as much as I can. Um, this is a special team, special organization. Proud of what the front office has been able to do uh, with the Houston Astros. And uh, I'll tell you, man, uh, we don't get tired of these moments. So we perform our best when October comes. They, of course, will advance to play the Boston Red Sox, who managed by the former Astros bench coach, Alex Cora. First pitch is part of ESPN Nation, brought to you by Dr. Pepper. College football is back, and so are the fans. Return to glory with Fansville by Dr. Pepper, the one fans deserve. In Atlanta, game four of the National League Division Series. And before the game, the Braves got bad news. Jorge Soler, who has been so good for Atlanta, tested positive for covid that meant that not only did he miss game four, but he would likely miss all of the National League Championship Series as well, although he could theoretically be activated for game six and seven if necessary and if he tests negative. So the Braves and Brewers played yesterday, and Milwaukee had a lead early. As Lorenzo Cain tries to knock in a couple of runs. And he does. He lines one in the center field. That brings in the first runner, Urias. Narvaez puts the brakes on. And another hit with a runner in scoring position. And that was Carl Ravitch on ESPN Radio. The Braves would come back. Bottom of the fourth inning. Eddie Rosario at the plate. Set up outside. And this one is in center field. It's going to get down. Riley's going to come in to score. Darno sent home. He's in to score. Rosario in a pinch hitting roll. Delivers a single to center. And we're tied at two. Milwaukee would strike back in the top of the fifth. To go with the other guys, this was a really good staff. That ball is drilled to center. Going back is Duvall. He's looking up. Rowdy Telez. Oh, he smashed it out of the yard. That's a two-run shot. 110 off the bat. It traveled 448 feet. And the Brewers back on top. The two-run home run makes it 4-2. to two. It was like a tennis match. The two sides answering back and forth. And in the bottom of the fifth inning, Atlanta would come back. Darno, that one is to the right side and into right field under the glove of Rowdy Telez. Travis Darno, an RBI, ties the game up. A single to right, right underneath the glove of Telez. And it's another new ball game as the Braves answer with two of their own to tie it at four. And it was still tied at four in the eighth inning. And Craig Council manipulated his bullpen. So Josh Hader would be on the mound against the left-handed hitting Freddie Freeman. Hader, during the regular season in his career, has allowed only seven homers in over 300 plate appearances to left against left-handed hitters. Freddie Freeman was at the plate in that spot last night. And he drives this one deep to center field. Kane going back, looking up. He takes Josh Hader out of the yard and he puts the Atlanta Braves up five to four. And they would hold on to win the game five to four. They're going back to the National League Championship Series. Freeman was asked for reaction after that home run. Can you just take us inside your mind as you're rounding the bases? Uh, there wasn't much going on. I was just <laughs> hoping I didn't fall over. Um, I had a lot of cool moments in my career, but so far I think that's going to top him right there. But Hopefully that's not the last cool one. You know, I got a couple more in, in, in these playoffs. Yeah, he was fighting his emotions after the game last night. Ryan Sensker talked about a perfect ending. You can't make that up. I mean, it's just uh, I had so many things going on in my mind when that happened, when he hit that ball. I said that was like the perfect ending. Unbelievable. And, and to have just uh, 
God, I don't know that I've ever been involved in a game like that. Just the intensity and everything that went on and back and forth. And my God, it was something else. Snitker said he was actually distracted at the moment Freeman hit the homer. Honestly, I was, I was, I had so many things going through my mind. You know, we had just kind of blown up the bench and, and, um, you know, like I say, I was looking and I, and he hit it and I watched the ball and I was like, my God, he got it. So I, I was, I was distracted almost just thinking about other things. And cause I find myself when I sit there and I focus on that and boy, it'd be nice if he hits one. It never happens. So I try and just not even to go there. In the other national league division series, LA against the giants game four in Dodger stadium, Walker Bueller started on three days rest for the Dodgers. He was good and he got an early lead. And with one out, right-hand batter waits the pitch. Swing and a ball drilled, right center field. That's going to touch down. That's going to roll all the way to the wall. Seager racing towards third. Dino Ebel's going to send him. Here's the throw from Crawford to the plate. Too late. And Seager slides in. It's an RBI double for Trey Turner. Dodgers one, Giants nothing. Mook Shami, the legend on ESPN Radio. Mookie Betts added to the lead in the fourth. Next offering, Bat swings, drives one right field. Brian back at the wall, at the track, out of here. Mookie Betts over the right field wall. And just like that, Dodgers have doubled their lead. Mookie goes deep, 4 nothing. And they would roll from there. They win 7-2 after the game. Dave Roberts talked about Walker Bueller. God, I, I, I honestly, I want to say he had better stuff than he did the other night. <laughs> I think uh, the solution is to have him going short more often. Um, I think sometimes, and this is just kind of, he just seemed relaxed. Um, and, and sometimes when you might be a little bit more fatigued and not too amped up or too strong, you, you sort of kind of try not to do too much. And all night long, uh, he stayed in his delivery. All the stuff, the velocity, the the characteristics of his Secondary pitches was was really good. Uh, used the changeup when he needed to. Um, I, I thought it, I thought it was really good all night long. Here's Giants manager Gabe Kapler. I would chalk this, you know, some of the the more recent. I don't want to even call them struggles, but more recently, us not being all that explosive on offense to to running up against some really good pitchers, and, and I think that's what happens in the postseason. You just get you know quality arm after quality arm, and. Um, Sometimes you have you know one big inning and you're able to to win the game with that one big inning. Sometimes you have to scratch across a run like we did yesterday, and and it's one swing that that makes all the difference. And uh, we're going to have our work cut out for us against against Arias in, in Game Five, and we'll be prepared for that. That's right. On Thursday, the Dodgers and Giants will play Game Five of that series. Arias against Logan Webb. Today we can all catch our breath to get ready for that big game. Some other notes: the qualifying offer that frames free agency every year has been set at $18.4 million this winter, down slightly from last year. We're going to be talking with Paula McKeedies about players who might be interesting candidates to accept the qualifying offer. And sources tell me Yankees owner Hal Steinbrenner seems likely to bring back Aaron Boone as manager. Taylor, what do you got? Buster, I got to say, sources tell me is the ultimate flex. A uh, couple of things here. No baseball tonight, but you can catch every single game of the postseason on ESPN Radio. That Dodgers-Giants game will be on our air tomorrow, Thursday. A couple other things to note here. Our annual NBA opening night doubleheader is Wednesday, October 20th. Uh, you got Celtics 
at Knicks. That's 7.30 p.m. Eastern, 4.30 p.m. Pacific. Then our primetime West Coast game, you got Nuggets squaring off against the Suns. Two great matchups to tip off the NBA season on ESPN and the ESPN app. One app, one tap. Love that app. Also, hockey has returned to ESPN. The NHL is starting back up, and that means you can stream your team's games on ESPN+. Plus. Love that I can watch the Caps on ESPN+, Plus as I'm up here in Connecticut. You can watch every team from Stanley Cup champion, the Tampa Bay Lightning, to the brand new Seattle crack and subscribe now to ESPN plus so you don't miss a goal and be sure to follow in the crease the new NHL podcast from ESPN with Linda Cohn and Emily Kaplan for the ones who get it done Granger offers high quality supplies and solutions for every industry as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions plus their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Buster. Just go to Indeed.com slash Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the show! Welcome to the show. Welcome to the show, mate. Welcome to the show. Whoa! Welcome to the show, baby. You're in the show with David Schoenfield. David Schoenfield covers baseball for ESPN. And and Dave, uh, Dave Roberts said it after the game last night. We got what we all wanted What we all want, Dodgers, Giants deciding game five. Between the team that won the National League West and the Giants, 107 wins. The Dodgers with 106 wins. Do you have a strong feeling either way about game five? No. I mean, first of all, how exciting is this, Buster? It's only the fifth winner-take-all game in MLB history between two 100-win teams. Last one was the Dodgers-Astros in the World Series in 2017. So, yeah, it's only the division series, but historic game. No, I don't have a strong feeling either way other than it's going to be a low-scoring game, especially with the way Logan Webb uh, pitched in that opener. So it's going to come down to a great defensive play, a blue pit, something like that. I think it's going to be like a two-to-one game. Yeah, and that's what stood out to me in the series is how great the defense is. And we know this about Arias, who's going to start for the Dodgers. He ain't afraid. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's that's pretty clear. And my question coming into the this series was, okay, Logan Webb, his first time on the big stage, and how would he respond? He seemed like he, he wasn't afraid at all. 
Yeah, he was cool that night. His changeup was just unhittable. So if that pitch is diving and darting like it did in game one, it's going to be tough for the Dodgers to score off him. But yeah, Urias, Dodgers have won his last 12 starts. He's a, he's on a roll. We saw what he did last October. I expect him to give Dave Roberts a good He'll, go, he'll probably go to the pen early, but I expect five or six, you know, really good innings out of him. And we'll dive more into the Dodgers-Giants game five on Thursday's podcast uh, leading up to the game. What kind of shot do you give the Braves against the winner of that game uh, in the National League Championship Series? Yeah, Atlanta look, I know anything possible. The Braves, they really shut down Milwaukee. Most importantly, the bullpen uh, was pretty good. Will Smith got the job done. Tyler Matzek looks like he's throwing strikes again, but – yeah, no doubt. The winner of L.A., San Francisco, heavy, heavy favorite. You know, we're going to end up with one of the biggest uh, win differentials between two teams in the LCS that we've ever seen. You know, Braves only won 88. And they can win it, but I certainly are <laughs> would not pick them. Yeah, the note we got from ESPN Stats and Info uh, overnight about that. The Braves with 88 wins still face the Dodgers, 106, or Giants, 107. Either way, it'll be the fifth largest win differential in an LCS round uh, since 1969. Uh, the team with a better record won three of the four matchups with only the 2001 Mariner, sorry, Dave, uh, losing <laughs> to the Yankees. Uh, the Braves are now just four wins away from reaching the World Series for the first time since 99. Entering this year, they'd gone 12 straight playoff appearances without reaching the World Series, which is tied for the longest streak all time. That was a surprise. I got to say, like the Braves, there's definitely some mojo going on. And I don't know if it's because of the constant text I'm getting from my son, the big Braves <laughs> fan, uh, but there's they're playing with some confidence right now. Yeah, you know, they do, no doubt. Um, you know, Max Freed, you know, remember, he started the year scuffing a little bit, but he's been really great for about yep. four months now. Ian Anderson, you know, is a good pitcher. I think they would have preferred to have Charlie Morton ready to, to start game one, but he pitched yesterday. Um, but, you know, good rotation. The bullpen, as your son knows, that's going to be the key for the Braves. Yeah, uh, and you're right. Uh, you know, I, the fewer angry Will Smith texts than, uh, than I got during the course of the summertime. <laughs> uh, that's for sure. And, and right now, I don't know. And look, I, you know, you watch the you watch the Astros in their series, and Bregman was great, and Correa was great, and and uh, you know, all these teams have have reliable hitters. I don't know if there's a hitter I would rather have up in a big situation than Freddie Freeman because yeah. of his approach. Uh, you know, versus lefties versus righties, you know, it's going to be a tough at bat. Yeah, I know. I mean, Josh Hader, first home run he allowed to a lefty all year. Hadn't given a run a run since July 28th. But that's what Freddie does. He can hit home runs to right field, to left field. He took Hader to the opposite field. You know, and remember, this could he's not signed yet for 2022. So I'm not predicting these are his final games in a Braves uniform, but small chance that they are. Let's sit back and enjoy him in that uniform. I just want to note, uh, as we talk about what happened in the Braves and Brewers game yesterday, that replay, actually non-replay situation happened with that foul ball hit in the air and the question of whether or not the ball was caught uh, by the third baseman. It was it was one of those calls that just it drives me crazy because, it, it, you know, I know. And right away when I talked about how that replay decision make, makes no sense, I got a text from someone at Major League Baseball that's not reviewable. I get it. But Dave, to me, if you have a call that everyone watching knows was wrong, 
and you can't fix it on a, right. on a question of whether or not the ball was caught or not, something is wrong. Yeah, and we've seen this with some of those other controversial calls this postseason where sometimes it just doesn't pass the common sense test. And this obviously falls into that category. The ball hit the ground. Common sense says the batter is still alive. He's not out. So baseball really needs to review some of its rules, some of its replay rules and guidelines to look at the common sense test because we need to get it right. In this case, they didn't. Yeah, and and, and please, if there's another uh, postseason call that goes against the team, please don't let it be the Braves. Because no fan base feels more aggrieved about postseason calls than the Braves do. I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, and look, you know, and we, it, look, I'm writing something for tomorrow a little bit about this. But, yeah, why does all this weird stuff happen in October? It doesn't seem to pop up in the regular season like it does in October, whether it's the Kiermaier, Kiermaier double, the Ismani Grandal play the other day. Now this play, October, weird stuff happens. And we just don't want it to decide games because one game can decide a series. So hopefully everything is a little more normal moving forward. All right. The only thing more predictable in a game five between the Dodgers and Giants is that there was going to be a battle of some kind of war uh, between Tony La Russa and Dusty Baker. <laughs> Tony La Russa saying that the uh, that the Astros threw at Jose Abreu on purpose. Um, let's set that aside for a second. I really felt like that that conversation after the game really took away how great all these longstanding Astros were. Uh, Carlos Correa was awesome in this series. Bregman, Altuve, Lance McCullers. I just loved how these guys stepped up in this series. Yeah, look, the critics are still going to be out there. I got a a text from my brother-in-law who's a Yankees fan saying, I'm not going to watch baseball after this, the rest of the playoffs, because he's still mad at the Astros. But they played great. Altuve, nine runs in this in this series. Are you kidding? He's on fire. He's locked in. And yeah, look, you know, you're going to play some sound here, but they were not throwing at Jose Altuve. And we get it. La Russa, Baker, obviously their rivalry goes back, especially when Dusty was managing the Reds and Tony was still with St. Louis. They had a lot of spats, but uh, yeah, it was a blowout. The whole, you know, one game, Chicago won, Houston blew them out otherwise. Yeah, Lance McCullers Jr., I mean, he's demonstrated time and time and time again that he is a big game pitcher. Carlos Correa, you know, 26 years old, clearly becoming a leader. And you can say what you want about Jose Altuve and Bregman. Those guys are tough. Like, they are tough players. There's no doubt about it. And they had a great series, and they're going to be a challenge for the Red Sox. All right, Uh, here's A.J. Pruszynski and Adam Wainwright on FS1. Uh, and this was their diagnosis of what happened when Jose Abreu was hit by the pitch in the eighth inning, talking with our old friend Adam Amin. Give a listen. And I see home plate umpire Vic Carapaz is going to get the umpires together. For what? I mean, this hurts, first of all. I mean, he's not – this is just a miss. I mean, well, you can tell by his reaction, right? He, he right away, head down, no. I mean, Tony's mad. I get it. And he's missed up the whole at bat, though. It wasn't like he just didn't make the adjustment. He yeah. missed up like four saying, times at bat. Tony's saying it's three times he's gone up there. You know, I don't know if Tony wants him ejected or, or what Tony wants, but I don't know what the umpires are talking about other than possible warning. But you can't kick a guy out at seven to one, two outs. So why would he? I mean, there's got to be a first pitch breaking ball coming here, right? Warnings issued to both dugouts. Big Carpaza points to the third base White Sox dugout on the first Tony's base. Tony's about to get bye bye. 
he 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 might get his money's worth here because he's like, what is a warning? What is a warning? Just allows yeah. us not to throw it anybody. Right. He's protecting his guys. He's also there's a little bit of. Let me slow the game. Let me, uh, you know, slow things down. Fluff, and, shall we say with this? Sure. I get his argument. And listen, he, he's absolutely doing the right thing. Right? Like Dusty came out and argued the grand doll playing game three. But at the same time, it gets the crowd a little bit excited. It gets people excited. But, you know, he's not accomplishing it. They're not going to change their mind at this point. One thing I love about baseball arguments, too, is you have to be real demonstrative with your body. Yes. you got to show the whole crowd with yeah. your arms. <laughs> Gesticulate wildly. And your head. Can you, you, know, can you, you put Wayne on camera? Yeah. So what they did after that was put Adam Wainwright on camera. It was so funny. Adam Wainwright's description of what a baseball argument looks like and how physically demonstrative the um, the uh, managers are. It was really cool. I thought those guys did a great job uh, in being honest about, hey, you know, Graveman wasn't throwing at him. What'd you make of what LaRusso said about all that? Basically saying that uh, the integrity of the Astros was on the line. Yeah, it was a little much. I mean, you know, 7-1, you're trying to close it out. You're not throwing at him. So I get it. You get emotional in the moment. But after the game, to still be complaining about it, you, you know, you got to look at the situation. So it, to me, it came across as some sour grapes from Tony. I get defending your players, but come on, they were not throwing at him. The White Sox starting pitching fell far short of where we thought it might when we were beginning to look at the White Sox as a possible World Series contender in uh, July. Dave, to me, they just got dinged up down the stretch, you know? Yeah, Lance yeah, Lynn. yeah. We saw that yesterday. Carlos Rodon was obviously not 100%. Lance Lynn, who had a really good year, but wasn't as good down the stretch as he had been the first four months. So, yeah, as we've learned through the years, postseason, it's all about timing. It's playing well at the right time. And most importantly, it's being healthy at the right time. And the White Sox weren't quite where they needed to be. Their starting pitching had a 10.22 ERA in their series loss against the Astros. 14 earned runs allowed in 12 and a third innings. Uh, we're going to be talking tomorrow about how the Astros might match up against Alex Cora and the Red Sox. Uh, but before you go, Dave, uh, I want to ask you about Aaron Boone's situation with the Yankees. You know, I wrote a story about how uh, Hal Steinbrenner, the, the Yankees owner, seems inclined to keep Boone. But as I wrote, it's not necessarily a one-way street here. <laughs> yeah. It's not, uh, you know, just uh, Booney sitting there saying, oh, please give me a one-year contract. He's a free agent at the end of the World Series. And, and th there's a lot of conversation in the industry how there are just not that many experienced managers so it's an interesting dynamic. My instinct is, is that if the Yankees, uh, you know, tell Aaron Boone, look, we'll give you, uh, we'll bring you back for next year and they give him an extension. And I asked people in other front offices what they think this is going to look like. And the guess was that Boone's going to get a two or three year deal, maybe two and an option. Um, uh, but if they were to say to him, look, we'll give you one more year. Brian Cashman is one more year. Uh, I, I, if I'm Aaron Boone, I might say, well, let me think about that. Let me see if a team like the Padres emerges for me. What do you make of the Yankees situation? Yeah, that's a really good point. And I hadn't thought about that because let's face it, there's two teams out there, the Padres and oh yeah, the New York Mets right. who had both, you know, had gone with a first time manager and it makes sense for, both of those organizations to hire a veteran manager. But to your point, who else is out there? Not really a lot of other good options. You know, you're going to pull Bruce Bochy out of retirement. 
he's a little, you know, up there in age at this point. So yeah, Aaron Boone, I'm with you. Two other really good options out there. The ball, I think, is in his court, you know, more than the Yankees right now. Well, and I would say this, if in fact the Yankees or when they announce that they're going to bring him back, that's where that's where I think that's going to be. Um, Social media Yankees fans, they're going to lose their minds. Um, (laughs) There's no doubt that social media Yankees fans and I separate that from most of the Yankee fans. uh, I, I think they you know, they have all voted and they want him off the island. No, look, who who are you going to hire? That's the first question. Aaron Boone, I think he did a really good job. The players like him. Most importantly, they play hard for him. He's obviously uh, understands the modern analytics. I just find it hard to believe the Yankees are going to do better. You know, I'm blaming him because Brian Cashman thought he had the same team that he had in 2019. That's not Aaron Boone's fault. They just got to rejigger that lineup for next year. All right, Dave, thanks for doing this. Uh, You know, take a breath, take the day (laughs) off, rest up for game five on Thursday night. All right, it'll be a great one. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, the clutch hits, the strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Jumping into the numbers. numbers. This is Himbo Knows on Baseball. Himbo is Paul Ambikides, of course, researcher at ESPN. He's a honcho on the show, Get Up, and we hear him all the time on ESPN Radio as Mike Greenberg's sidekick. Himbo, how you doing? I'm doing great. Um, I am not an ordained minister like your uh, producer, Taylor Schwing, but I am still sort of bringing up the rear here and at least enjoying my baseball this fall. So that's all I can say. I know. Say hi to the Red <laughs> as he's named himself. Good Lord. Good. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, 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 it, it feels sacrilegious. But anyway, we move on. <laughs> all right. Uh, Alex Corey getting a lot of praise all around baseball. Uh, you know, as I talked about in the podcast yesterday, and I remember you and I talking about this, I could not believe that the Red Sox hesitated at all last fall to think about rehiring him because he's that good. He is, um, for my money, Buster, not only the best manager in baseball right now, but the best playoff manager, I'd say, since Bruce Bochy. And it's very hard, as you know, I'm sure you've been asked this question a million times, to, to quantify what a manager does. But I sort of do the best I can to illustrate how good a job he has done with this team using some numbers. For starters, he has managed 19 postseason games with the Red Sox. He's won 15 of them. 
His teams own a plus 43 run differential in those games, and they've averaged 6.1 runs per game. Buster, no other manager in postseason history owns a higher average than Alex Cora. But you might say, obviously, he does, you know, he's not hitting, so we can't give him too much credit for that. Fine. I mean, at minimum, his lineup is at ease against the best pitchers in the world. But beyond that, I'm also impressed with the way that he is continuing to manage his bullpens. And I, I'm seeing sort of underwhelming bullpens perform really, really well. In fact, during his two postseasons now, 2018 and 2021, his bullpen ERA is more than a run below what they are in the regular season. 2.8 in the playoffs, 3.8 in the regular season. That is remarkable in my judgment and a testament to him knowing when to press the button and when uh, and, and who to press the button with, of course. And lastly, I mentioned those 19 games, 15 of which he's won. Buster, he's 10-3 and three as an underdog in the postseason. For context, wow. in Major League Baseball, the underdog wins about a third of the time in the playoffs. Alex Cora is 10 and three in that role. And suppose that, and I suppose that might make Red Sox fans feel a little bit better given the fact that they are once again, an underdog in this series. Well, and to give context to what you are saying, you Hembo, uh, Hmm. you're uh, giving a lot of credit to Alex Cora, you know, and you come from a school where the managers in, in a lot of cases are deemed largely irrelevant, correct? Uh, 100% correct. But I think the, the reason why I see something different here is because if if the group of players that you have plays above the consensus as to how they should play, like this Red Sox team is, is doing this year, that's a conversation that we need to have. Maybe he's creating a clubhouse environment in which some of these guys are hitting their 60th percentile, their 70th percentile. And I think there's no better way to tangibly um, measure what a, a manager is doing than how he can press buttons in the bullpen. And like I described, his pitchers come out of the pen and perform way better than they do on net in the regular season. There has to be something to that, too. It happened once in 2018, and that team was loaded. They won more than 100 games. This team, I thought, ended the season as the fourth-best team within their own division, and now they're four wins away from the World Series. I don't believe managers matter at all. And then I came across Alex Gore. <laughs> yeah, he finds outs out of the pitching. Uh, real quick, uh, in aside, I'm curious to see if you agree with me on this. Uh, geez, you mentioned Bruce Bochy's name and, and the Padres. The assumption is, is that they'll strongly consider a manager with experience, you know, given what's gone on with Andy Green and Jace Tingler and uh, the unhappiness of players. You, know, you would assume that they would talk to, you know, a Ron Washington, a Buck Showalter, uh, you know, Aaron Boone, if he were to become a free agent. Um, and from what I understand, they have not talked to Bruce Bochy yet. And I got to say, just do you agree with me? Like you go through a search for an experienced manager. And if you don't talk to Bruce Bochy, like <laughs> that, that is just wrong. Like I, I, I get it. He's, I get it. He's not a new school manager, but if that's the type of, uh, if that's the prototype you're looking at and you've got a history with him, what? Yeah. That makes absolutely no sense in the world. Obviously he's the greatest manager uh, or at least arguably the greatest manager in the history of that franchise. He has been remarkably successful recently in the postseason, and Buster, I think you'd agree with me here. Like one thing that we just need to say out loud: the Padres need a grown-up in the room. They need an adult in the room, and Bruce Bochy uh, comes with more gravity than perhaps any other manager that you could pluck from anywhere. I think you'd agree with that too. So it makes no sense in the world to me why he's not one A on their list. The only question would be whether or not he wants to go back. There should be no question that they want him back. 
or that they at least want to talk to him. Like, oh, sure. you know, if they wind up deciding that Ron Washington's a better fit or Brad Osmus or, you know, fill in the blank, uh, other experienced managers. OK, you get that. Mm-hmm. But to me, it's an absolute dereliction of duty if you don't at least oh, yeah. bring him in and have a conversation with him and mm-hmm. s- see where he's at and sort of you know uh, decide whether or not potentially he could be a right fit. All right. Uh, give me some perspective on the Braves run every year. It seems they're in the postseason. They are, a, uh, to me, a tribute to clubhouse culture. Yes, I agree with that. I just described how I felt Alex Gore impacted this Red Sox team and is impacting them in the postseason. All you have to do is watch this Braves team play to get a sense of how their front office not only sort of self-scouts, but promotes culture. Buster, we all left these guys for dead. When Ronald Acuna Jr. got hurt, he was an MVP frontrunner at the time, as we all know. And since the trade deadline, this team is 40 and 20. They won two-thirds of their games, including the playoffs, since the trade deadline. Over that span, again, without Acuna, they lead the National League in scoring. They average 5.1 runs per game, and they own the third-best earn-run average behind only the Dodgers and the Giants. Max Fried has established himself as a legit one. I'm not sure there's a single pitcher in baseball I've watched over the last week who has impressed me more than Max Fried. And in watching that game in its entirety yesterday, I can say with certainty that the muscle memory that they've had to deal with in sort of living through their blown series against the Dodgers last year manifested yesterday in coming back to beat the Brewers. This is this team is absolutely loaded. They will be an underdog in the NLCS, but do absolutely do not put it past them because for my money over the last two, two and a half months, this team has been every bit as good as the Dodgers and the Giants. Who would you favor in game five, Dodgers, Giants? We're talking about mar- like razor thin margins here. So sort of answer your question in a roundabout way, the Giants are my pick. And the reason the Giants are my pick is because, as you know, this time of year, managers are extremely stingy and, and will have a short lease with the, with the starters, even if they're throwing the ball really, really well. And thus, I think this is going to be a game in which, unless there's something that happens unexpectedly early, this is going to be a bullpen game. And if this is going to be a bullpen game, I trust Gabe Kapler and his pitchers more coming out of the bullpen, believe it or not. And the stat that I'll use is this. During the regular season, Buster, on games in which the uh, Giants' bullpen had any rest, at least one day of rest, they owned the best ERA in baseball by more than half of a run. And as we saw in this series so far, the two days in which they came in with rest, they shut out the Dodgers. So my expectation, again, in a 55-45 game is that if we're going to ask these bullpens to get 15 outs, the Dodgers' um, bullpen is one I have much less confidence in, and the Giants, based upon their track record both within this series and throughout the regular season, again, a 2-1-4 bullpen ERA in these circumstances during the regular season, that is historically good. I'll take my chances with San Francisco. All right. Yesterday, I reported that the qualifying offer for free agents is going to be at $18.4 million. That's down from last winter's $18.9 million. All these teams... Uh, who've had free agents who were with them throughout the 2021 season can offer them a qualifying offer. The player can choose to accept or reject. If they reject and then sign a big deal, the team gets uh, gets draft pick compensation. So there's some interesting choices every year. Guys who are sort of on the on the fringe, who you wonder if they'll take it. Last winter was Marcus Stroman. Uh, it was Kevin Gossman with the Giants. They, they both took it. Turned out to be a really nice one-year investment for their respective teams and a nice payday for the players. Give me three intriguing names when it comes to qualifying offers. Buster, the first of which is Chris Taylor, who has been really impactful for the Dodgers in recent years. He has been among their most impactful 
postseason performers. My expectation is that Corey Seager is going to walk. I am. I cannot wait to see if they extend it and whether or not he would accept it because that's an awfully nice payday for a player like him. The second is Rysel Iglesias, the Angels' closer. That's a yeah. lot of money to give any relief pitcher. And if he winds up hitting the market, there, there's going to be a huge appetite for his services. And you also wonder the Angels, they're going to try and win next year. Obviously, he was a huge part of that bullpen. He was probably the best pitcher in it, but that's a lot of money to devote to a ninth inning guy. And lastly, Justin Verlander. We know the Astros owner last week, Jim Crane, came out and said that they would probably extend the qualifying offer. And I'm dying to see if they do, whether or not Justin Verlander would accept it. Because I have no sense whatsoever of how he views his future of how people around the league view what he has left. We just saw what Max Scherzer did this year. He was remarkably good. And obviously they've always sort of been compared, although Verlander has a lot more tread under the tires or at least some. So those are the three names that I have circled. How about you? I thought you would mention Noah Syndergaard, who uh, had just two appearances for the Mets this year as he recovered uh, a lot of the year from Tommy John surgery, had a setback at one point. He made, you know, basically, I'm trying to remember, was it 10 or $11 million he made this year and yeah. basically didn't contribute anything. And now the Mets have the question, if they want to give him a qualifying offer at 18-4, Noah indicated, and he was speaking off the cuff, so I wouldn't hold him to this. Uh, at the end of the year, when he was asked, would he accept a qualifying offer? He basically said, heck yeah. What do you, what do you think about him with that decision? Because that, that to me is more on the fence than I think people realize. Yes. Um, and I'm one of those people because I saw you tweet about, uh, about Syndergaard as a possibility. And I have to admit, Buster, I think extending the qualifying offer to Syndergaard would be crazy for the Mets. Absolutely insane. I understand the, the profile. We understand the potential. But this is not a person who has been reliable at all. And even the last time he was good, he wasn't really as good as most people remember. Uh, the Mets have the opportunity to spend money like crazy this offseason. And if it were mine and I had $19 million to spend next year, I would sooner do it on a player, a position player or a pitcher uh, for whom I'm more confident is going to be reliable for me. I don't know if Steve Cohen feels any sort of emotional attachment to Syndergaard. Obviously he was so good in 2015 and Cohen's a big fan of the team as we well know, but if it were my money, I mean, I would not consider it. Like he wouldn't come up in my slideshow. Obviously Michael Conforto is a different story, but I'm not sure Syndergaard even enters the conversation. So I'm a little bit surprised to hear you say otherwise. Well, keep, keep in mind, they need rotation arms. Like they oh, yeah. need starting pitching. They have a mm -hmm. deep need with Stroman, you know, potentially walking away as a free agent with so much uncertainty around Jacob DeGrom. And, you know, Syndergaard would just be a one-year obligation for a guy, speaking of Steve Cohen, who has a ton of money. All right, sir. <laughs> Thanks, Hembo. Later, boys. Get out of here, Hembo. Sick exactly of Hembo. Right. Bleacher Tweets. Alrighty, Buster. Bleacher Tweets for a Wednesday. We've got a boatload of tweets. I'm seeing lots of new names in here. I'm really, really loving this as we're digging into the postseason. Uh, we got Call Jacks, C-A-W-L, uh, writes in, Hey, Buster, with only six career starts in center field for Lux, why wouldn't the Dodgers use Trey Turner out there? He played center field as a national for a season. Probably just recency bias. Uh, Lux, you know, played in the outfield when he was in the minor leagues this year. He's had more preparation in the outfield. Trey Turner's back in the infield. The other thing, too, that you do wonder if they're just uh, trying to sort of send an implicit message to Trey Turner that, hey, you know, you're an infielder in our eyes because he might be a shortstop for them when Corey Seager leaves as a free agent in the wintertime. Next up, Matt at Kayaking Smith. 
writes, and Buster, thanks for the Twitter war and my mentions. You retweeted Matt last night on the pod. Can you talk about the replay system and why they put reviewable restrictions on it? What's the point, especially for something so obvious? Catch plays in the outfield, uh, an umpire's decision whether to field whether a fielder caught a fly ball or a line drive in flight in the outfield before it hit the ground is reviewable, but fly balls or line drives fielded by a defensive player in the infield is not eligible for review. A little bit crazy. They need the common sense test, I'm guessing. So, Rev, you just read my notes that I wrote to myself within uh, the rundown. Well, that's why but that's totally right? fine. You gave the, uh, the, the, you know, the distinguishing characteristic <laughs> between whether play, or, play is reviewable or not. I agree with what Dave said. I think common sense needs to be applied. Mm. The Rev never, never claimed to be literate uh, completely. <laughs> Cody Simpson at Cody the Blind writes, and can you throw something into the pod about umpire performances? Do they have a scorecard? I'd like to hear about it if they do. People ask this all the time. We get it all through the season. What grade would you give the umpires at this point in the postseason? No, I don't know. I haven't seen like every pitch and I haven't seen every call. I think generally speaking, it's not like we've had a game blown up over an umpire's call. Yes, they get grades all the time. The one thing that's always been a surprise for me is how uh, umpires, whether they're considered to be you know great or not so great, they still seem to cycle through in the postseason. That, to me, I wish it was more like the NFL, where they just kept using the best guys over and over and over again. Great question from Adam Yaney at a underscore Yaney Buster. Does your son know you picked against his Braves? If so, what was his reaction? Yes, he does know. And he was quite relieved because my son is unbelievably superstitious. I'm shocked (laughs) that I have a superstitious kid. Like my son is the ultimate. Don't mention the no hitter when it's in progress guy, which I don't, I don't get at all. So him knowing that, you know, especially now it's all justified. I had Rays versus Brewers in the world series. He'd be thrilled if I picked against his team the whole way. All right. Keep picking against those Braves. Andrew Campbell Turtle at Real Camp Drew writes in, Hey, Buster, is Carlos Beltran going to be a major league manager in 2022? Core and Hinch served their short suspensions and are back like it never happened. And the players got off scot-free. Shouldn't Beltran be coaching the Padres or Mets next season? Yeah, and he, uh, Andrew, I think he meant managing um, look, I think if Carlos Beltran wants to get back, I think it'd really behoove him to come back and serve as a bench coach and serve on a coaching staff if that's what he wants to get. Um, you know, the thing, the different, what separated Cora and Hinch from him is that those guys had managed and they had track records and they'd had success. And Carlos doesn't have that yet. And I think he'd be, you know, if he wants to manage, get back on a coaching staff. Mike Mosk at the Mosk three writes in Red Sox scored 26 runs versus Tampa in the ALDS Two NLDS series scored 25 runs combined. Is it as simple as the NL has better pitching and the AL has a DH? Mike, that's part of it. There's no doubt about it. Bring on that NLDH, baby. Last one for today. David at Baseball Fan 1918. Some projected arbitration numbers came out yesterday, and the A's have some big checks coming due. Olsen, 12 million. Chapman, 9.5. Manea, 10.2. Bassett, 8.8. I know these are projected, but do you see them as a potential trade candidate this offseason? No doubt about it. I mean, and that's their history. Uh, You know, uh, whether it's Mark Mulder, uh, whether it's Tim Hudson, uh, uh, other guys, when they get expensive, Oakland trades them. You know, Tampa Bay trades them. That's what they did last winter with Blake Snell. When you have small market teams and they have lower payrolls and players get expensive, they move them on if they haven't signed in long-term deals. 
Alrighty, that does it for Bleacher Tweets. Hashtag Bleacher Tweets on Twitter and keep those tweets coming even through this day of rest. That's it for today. My thanks to Dave Hembo and The Rev. Have a great day, everybody. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And remember, hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day. Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply.